0: This prayer is called The World Waits, uh, specifically for the beginning of Advent. You know, Advent, I I won't get to say this during my sermon because I just didn't put it in the sermon, but Advent is um, this preparation time for Christmas, kind of like Lent is for Easter. You have this this period of days in which you're preparing your heart and mind for the big event that's coming up. But Advent... it is a preparation for Christmas, but it's also a looking forward to the return of Christ, which is why the lectionary texts are like the old school, old prophets, Old Testament kind of Messiah is coming, heaven shaking, you know, kind of event. And and Jesus came at Christmas, but then he said, I will return someday. Like you can count on it. Put all your eggs in that basket. I'm coming back. And so, we, during Advent, we place our hope in this time that Christ is going to return. Yes, we remember the first time He came, but more importantly, we're thinking about His return uh, to make all things right. And so, uh, you'll see that reflected in this prayer, but will you uh, bow your heads with me? God of grace, thank you for this season of waiting. Thank you for the beauty of the sleeping earth waiting for spring's new life. Thank you for the joy of children waiting for the excitement of gift-giving. Thank you for the gift of familiar carols whose joyful music touches waiting hearts. Thank you for far-flung family and friends that can't wait to see this you can't wait to see this season. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We have been waiting for a Savior. We pray for all who are waiting this morning. People who are waiting for an end to violence because they have known too much war. People who are waiting for healing because they live with sickness and pain. People who are waiting for good news because they are weighed down with sorrow. We pray for all of the earth that is waiting. Creatures who are waiting for protection because their environment has been destroyed. Waterways that are waiting for renewal because they have been contaminated. Lands that are waiting to be redeemed from pollution because we have forgotten that God called the land good. Throughout the world, in and on and under it, waiting happens. Waiting grows and gathers. The earth is pregnant, waiting for redemption. In eager expectation, we wait for the revelation of the Son of God, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Lord enters in. So I told you, Advent readings always go back to the Old Testament. That's where we start because we're going to read about the hope that they had about God coming, which corresponds to our hope that God will come again. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9 this morning. You can follow along on the screen. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence." From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways. But you are angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. This may uh, come as a shock to you, maybe not, but did you know that the Bible is actually a series of conversations between people that are presenting their thoughts on God? Did you know that? That, that may be a shock. Now, we tend to think of the Bible as one solid book that most likely lays out one solid theological concept, but actually it's a series of conversations. I didn't know this until I went to seminary, and I found out that uh, for the Jewish people, the ancient Jews, first century Jews and and before that, particularly the rabbis, um, part of worship for them was coming together to debate these ideas. They would have these really kind of fierce debates, and then afterwards they would put their arm over the shoulder of the other, and they would go to the local pub and Drink, you know, drink and celebrate God, because really, none of us know anyway. We don't have the answers. We're just human, right? So they have these fierce debates, but but that was a part of their worship, being able to get together and say, "I think God is like this." No, I think God is like this. Well, I think this is how it all works. No, I think this is how it all works. And so you can see that in the Bible, they preserved all of that and just simply kept it in there, rather than choosing one one way to see it all. They just said. Here's the whole thing. So it shouldn't surprise us that we can see these debates kind of unfolding in Scripture. I could could give you several of them. I could give you contrasting books that are uh, an answer, one an answer to another. It's kind of interesting. But I want to look at the, the ongoing debate in Scripture that has to do with the divine human relationship. There's God. There's us. How are we connected to God? How does that all work? And there's a debate in there. Now, everybody agrees. Everybody that's that's got something to say about it. Everybody agrees. There are points in our lives in which God seems absent. Those times when you're in this wilderness space, this dry desert, you just don't feel God, you don't see God, you're not hearing anything from God. Those are some dry places. None of us likes to be in that. We want to we want to hear something. We want to see the beauty in the world, something. Give, us, give me a sign. But there are, there's dry points in our lives. We all agree on that. What we uh, can't agree with is what is going on when that happens. Now, a lot of people contribute it to sin. You've heard the old adage that sin separates us from God, okay? That, that's a pretty common uh, thing that you'll encounter in Scripture. Sin separates us from God although not everybody agrees with this. All you have to do is read the book of Job, and that's a very famous instance in where sin was not a part of the absence feeling. Job was going, God is God has turned his back on me. God is nowhere to be found. And all the friends said, well, you know how it works. You sin, and God takes off, or God is you're separated from God. And Job said, that's not my problem. I didn't sin in this. That, that's the whole book of Job is that, this is not an answer for every time that God seems absent, okay? But, but it's kind of interesting uh, for the folks that think that sin plays a part in this. Um, you've got a couple different ways to look at it. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and they are separated from God, but they're the ones that turn and run and hide from God, if you remember the story. God actually comes into the garden calling out Adam's name. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Oh, I was hiding because I ate the tree from the tree that you told me not to eat. I messed up, and so I'm hiding from you. And so the writer of Genesis 3 presents this, this, this point that, okay, sin separates us from God, but it's because you actually separated yourself. You're the one that ran and hid. Other texts say, no, when we sin, God is the one who actually turns His face or removes His presence. And so which is it? Which is it? Which is correct? When we miss the mark, when we mess up, does God depart? Do we depart? Perhaps neither. Perhaps neither. There are famous texts, Hebrews 13 and Deuteronomy 31, uh, has the famous line that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You've heard that, it's on bumper stickers. I will never leave you or forsake you. Psalm 10, the writer of Psalm 10 says, you know, folks all over the place, when they feel this sense of absence, they say, God has forgotten us. He has hidden His face. But then the writer goes on to say, actually, that's not true. God sees everything. God is never far away. In fact, God takes note of all of our trouble and grief. So if you feel that God has forgotten us and turned His face, that's a feeling that you have that is not true. That's what Psalm 10 says. But here we have these folks in Isaiah 64 that we just read. Now, They were wondering this. They were in the midst of this dry season. Where is God? Where is God? We've heard the stories of old when when David was king and Solomon was king and the temple was built and things were wonderful and glorious. It was the golden age of, of Israel. But we look around and we are far from that right now. Where is God? You see... Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians maybe about 50 years before this. They came in and just wiped out the city and they tore down the temple and they exiled everybody to a foreign land. They were sent to Babylon to live. And this went on for about 50 years until Persia uh, defeated the Babylonians. And and Persia said, y'all can go home now. You don't have to stay here. Go on back home, rebuild your city, rebuild your homes rebuild the wall around your city, rebuild the temple, start worshiping God again, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And so this, Isaiah 64, is written, we think, probably somewhere in this time frame. Uh, Maybe the temple is being worked on. Maybe the, the wall is being built. You can read more about that in Nehemiah, about how they built the wall around the city. But they're looking around going, things are just not like they used to be. It's not like the good old days. We've heard the stories. We know how this place was glorious and vibrant, and it just doesn't feel like that. Where is God? Where is God? And so they cry out to God, Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down once again into our presence. We know that if you would, that the mountains would shake and tremble. We know that our enemies would shake and tremble. God, where are you? God, where are you? And they say, you know, we know, God, that we're dirty sinners. We're like filthy rags, they say. We we know that we're like leaves that fade and blow away and turn into dust. But please have mercy on us. Come back to us. And so you can see you can see in Isaiah 64, they believe that God is absent because of their sin. This is the kind of the route that they're taking. We recognize our own sin. We believe that you have turned your face and departed from us, and oh, that you would come down again, come back to us once again. In their view, I was thinking about you know, when Elvis would perform, and then, and then after the concert, they'd say, Elvis has left the building, right? For them, God has left the building. God is gone. We don't know where God is. We're just just saying prayers, hoping God's going to hear them and that God will come back to us. And all they can do in this moment is hope and wait that God would return to them someday. And years went by and years went by. And years and years and years, and things just never felt the same. And Persia eventually goes away, but then Greece comes. And then Greece goes away, and Rome comes. And things just never feel like the good old days. Yeah, we got our temple, but we're not free. We're not reigning. We're not the... We're not the, the, the nation that we used to be under King David. And then this guy from Nazareth appears. This prophet from Nazareth. And people said, what good can come from Nazareth? What the heck is Nazareth? But this guy appears. His name is Jesus. And he says some really strange things. One of the things he says is, you know, God is present with you in me. Now that's a shocking thing to say, right? We know what it looks like when God is here and God doesn't come to us from a guy in Nazareth. That's not how this works. This is not what they were expecting. But Jesus assured them and gave them signs. No, God really is with you. God is among you. All you have to do is look at me. I and the Father are one. God is with you. In fact, he said things uh, like before he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, you know, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. According to Jesus, God was never absent. God had been there the whole time. God had silently been working behind the scenes for this what we call a kairos moment, a divine appointment. We have the calendar time, we have watch time, but then there's God time. And this was a God time moment, Jesus said. God had been working toward this the whole time and God is here among you in me. And so it seems that the hopes and the prayers of the people that had been prayed for a long, long, long time that God would come amongst them once again would come into the temple. Fill your temple, God. When are you going to fill your temple? It was answered, but not in a way that they expected. This was a shocking answer to their hope. God came into the temple in the person of Jesus. Very shocking. And so here we are, the year 2023, and we are in Advent once again. The period of waiting the time of waiting, the time in which we remember, God, you did these. We sound very much like the people in Isaiah 64. We remember what happened last time you came. The mountains trembled and shook. Our adversaries flee. We remember. When are you going to do that again? We, on this side of Jesus, remember what happened when God showed up last time. He came in this tiny baby, born into a manger to poor parents fleeing to Egypt to escape being killed by Herod. Growing up in Nazareth, this poor prophet carpenter guy. That's what happened last time God showed up. And it changed the world. And we're still talking about it. We're still gathering every year. Every Sunday we gather to remember, to pray, And yet, Advent 2023, we are still hoping and waiting and waiting and hoping and praying and confessing and pleading and doing whatever we can to get Jesus to come back. When will you come back to us, God? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and Jesus would descend and come back to us once again. How long do we have to wait, O Lord? How long? And so people, you know, talk about, just like, just like they did back then, they, they talk about, well, what's the delay? What's the reason for the wait? Perhaps it's our sin. Perhaps God has turned His face from us. Perhaps God has truly departed from us. And we've got we've to coerce God back. We've got to talk God into coming back to us. Maybe we've sinned and somehow we have run and hid from God like Adam and Eve that we're actually the problem. We're the stumbling block. God is searching for us and we are in hiding. Maybe in our church buildings, we're in hiding. Maybe, and Jesus experienced this on the cross, and we could talk about this too, but you you remember on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As some people said that God did turn his face on Jesus on the cross. I don't believe that. I think this was a moment in which Jesus experienced deep darkness and said, my God, my God, where are you? All I have left is my faith and my hope that you are still with me somehow, but I can't see you. I can't feel you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And perhaps this is just one of those moments where in this darkness we can't see, but maybe God has always been here. Maybe God has been working silently, invisibly behind the scenes, setting the stage for another Kairos moment, another God appointment. It's time. It's time. Dan puts on his Facebook every day, maybe today. Maybe today is the day. What if his appearance is shocking as it was to them? What if it doesn't happen in the way that we expect it to or that we imagine it will or the way we think or the way we've been told this is what it's going to look like? What if it's more of an unveiling than an appearing? Unveiling what was already here, what was always here. What if Jesus never left the building? You know, that that first Christmas... Uh, I don't think anybody expected that. I mean, they had the prophets that talked about Messiah is going to come today. God will come back. Messiah will come. Set things right. God will be with us. Messiah will be with us. They imagined a king taking David's throne. Nobody expected it to happen like it happened. And nobody expected Messiah to be God incarnate. Nobody expected that. Messiah is just Messiah. Just just. God's human ruler that will will watch over us and guide us and protect us. Nobody expected God to come in Messiah for the two to be one. It caught everybody off guard. And I wonder why do we imagine that we, if they didn't get it the first time, why would we get it the second time? Why do we imagine that? I love the story of the Apostle Paul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's really interesting because in the book of Acts, Luke tells the story of his conversion, and Paul is going to persecute some Christians, and he's going he's to round them up and take them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail or kill them. And they had already stoned Stephen for the faith, you know. And Luke says that, that they're walking along, and Paul hears this voice. Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that he he lost his eyesight, and he says, um, "Who are you, Lord?" You know, kind of a weird question, but who who are you? And I know that you're the Lord at the same time. Who are you, Lord? And and the story proceeds from there, but Paul tells it very differently in Galatians one. If you go back and read Galatians one, he says, "You know, I was going about my business." persecuting the church, doing the things I thought I was supposed to do. And he says this really interesting line. He says, And then God was pleased to reveal His Son in me. In me. Paul said, I realize now it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. This is all in Galatians. So the way Paul tells this story... He's walking along, he's doing the thing that he thinks he's supposed to do, and all of a sudden he has this epiphany, I am not my own, there is another that dwells in me. Who is this, Lord? Shocking, changes everything for Paul. He realizes now the Paul that I thought was so important, that had gotten all these accolades, and I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and had studied under Gamaliel, and I had done all this stuff, and I was, I was robust, I was, you know, had all these things. They're all nothing. They're nothing. Because Christ dwells in me, and I didn't even know it. The way Paul tells it, it's it's almost as if. Christ was hidden there all along waiting for this kairos moment in which Paul could receive the truth. And bam, knocked him on his butt. And I can't help but wonder, what if Paul's experience is what the return of Christ might be like? The world is going about its business, fighting its wars, uh, fighting over resources, Um, uh, wealth distribution is is wonky, Uh, food distribution is wonky, Uh, education, you know, some parts of the world really suffering, some parts of the world really doing great, and we're all doing our thing, And, and, and what if one day, bam, we wake up to the reality? Oh my gosh, we are not our own. We never were. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. What if that's the return of Christ right there? That the rending of the heavens, the tearing open of the clouds is one internally. That <laughs> you have this epiphany. Oh my gosh. I thought I knew who I was. I went to graduate school and I got a six-figure job and uh, I've got three cars in my garage, or uh, I'm the CEO of a, a startup tech company, and it's all worthless. It means nothing, because I am not my own. Christ lives in me, and I didn't even know it. Imagine, imagine the horror of realizing your entire life was an illusion. Worse yet, imagine looking at your enemy, the one that you hate with all of your guts, and you go, oh, you too? Christ is in you too? Christ is in me? The Father was pleased to reveal His Son in me. He revealed the Son in you too? Oh, my gosh. I can't hate you anymore. Imagine global laying down of arms, hunger eradicated, loneliness and fear disappearing, racism, hate, disproportionate wealth distribution, all going away in the blink of an eye because Christ is revealed as the one true king of every person on the planet we realize Christ never left us, but was always with us more intimately than we could have imagined. What if that's what it will be like? Folks, I don't know. Because I'm with you. I'm still waiting. I don't know how it's going to be. Maybe the clouds will open up, and and a single figure called Jesus of Nazareth will descend. Now, I don't know how that, if that works in Palestine, I don't know how that, the, the folks in China get to see that too. I don't know how that works. But what, what if our hope is finally answered? And maybe today, Dan, maybe today is the day. What if it happens in a shocking way that none of us saw coming, none of us expected? All I know is that God's people have been clinging to hope for thousands of years. It's in our faith DNA. We are a hopeful people. We don't know how it's going to work, we don't know when it's going to happen, but we trust in our God. Our God is not going to let us down. Even if we believe that our sin has caused God to turn away, we believe God is merciful and will relent. That's part of our faith DNA as people of God. God will not abandon us. God will not leave us. God will come back to us. And so we wait and we hope and we pray and we confess. And we tell the stories of that first Christmas, that first shocking Christmas when God came among us in a shocking way And in 2023, we continue to say, come, Lord Jesus. In whatever way you want to come, come, Lord Jesus. We are ready. We are waiting. Come and save us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. in this moment, you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and be the light of Christ in the world. Daunting task. Guess what? You're going to make some mistakes this week, but God doesn't love you any less. God does not turn His face from you. He does not depart from you. God is still with you, always, even when you cannot see Him. And so I pray that you would take that in faith, that it would strengthen you, that you would get back up. Go back out. Do the things that Christ has called us to do. And know that God loves you through Him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take that good word. Go from this place in peace. Amen. Amen.